I want to share, first of all, a rather interesting experience that I had this week that was also a little bit unsettling. Um, On Wednesday, I retweeted a post from a person I follow on Twitter, Lisa Sharon Harper, and I added uh, some words of introduction explaining why I was sharing it. Ms. Harper's post was uh, what I thought was a a brilliant and concise explanation of why it is that Christian churches and Christian leaders must address issues that are deemed political because politics impact the way people live together. So a handful of people liked my retweet. And Ms. Harper herself, I was thankful, uh, replied with a very nice comment. But there was uh, uh, one other person that commented uh, that was not so nice. Um, and it was not from any name that I recognized. So this was someone who, who went out of their way to make a comment towards me. And he explicitly told me to shove my response up my white guilt. And I will let you fill in the blank. Uh, as he wanted me to fill in the blank. And I can joke about that because it was just the one person and he at least didn't threaten to assist me in the procedure. But uh, that same day, I saw a deeply disturbing post from another Christian writer that I follow, John Pavlovitz, that made it quite clear the real danger that some people face for speaking out. Uh, Mr. Pavlovitz, as some of you know, is a very outspoken, progressive Christian with a big heart for truly following Christ and in doing that in loving the poor, the oppressed, and the outcast, and calling out people that don't necessarily, who claim to be Christians who don't necessarily follow the way of Christ. Some man posted on Instagram a picture of Mr. Pavlovitz's wife and children on a split screen, and next to the children of his picture of his wife and children was a picture of guns. Can you imagine receiving something like that? I mean, the threat is clear and obvious and horrific. And this is in response to a person who was trying to live the life to which Christ calls us. That is just one example of thousands we could share that remind us that truly trying to follow Christ in this life can be difficult, it can be confusing, and it can be dangerous. As we look again at our text from this morning, I believe that this is the important context that we need to have in mind. Paul himself, we know, was behind bars, was in jail as he wrote these words because he had been preaching and speaking out for Christ. And he knows that there are disagreements among the the Christians in Philippi about uh, what it means to follow Christ in terms of a practical day-to-day basis. And Paul doesn't know if he will ever get a chance to see 
his brothers and sisters in Philippi in that church again. So, on the one hand, Paul wants the followers of Christ to work seriously at the life we are called to live. On the other hand, Paul wants the followers of Christ to know that we are not alone in this, that God works in us to help, <clears throat> excuse me, to help make this happen. The phrase that often gets uh, repeated from this part of Paul's letter is that latter part of verse 12. Um, work, continue, excuse me, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's, a, that's the part of this that I've heard numerous times. And it often gets taken out of context and makes it sound like Paul is saying, you better keep in line. You better be afraid that you are going to get out of line or God will punish you. But notice the lead up to this part. Paul writes at the beginning of this verse, therefore, my dear friends, in the Greek, it is agapetoi mu, my, literally, my loved ones. Therefore, my loved ones, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Paul praises them for how well they have already proven their devotion to Christ. So his main point here is to continue to work out, continue to obey, continue to be devoted to Christ the way that you have been. Continue what you are doing, whether Paul sees them again or not. That's part of his desire to encourage them. He doesn't know if he'll get another chance. Paul knows that following Christ can be difficult, it can be confusing, even dangerous. So he's urging them to take seriously, again, take this life seriously whether he is around to remind them or not. And the language that he uses to try to capture this, take it seriously, is fear and trembling because there's so much at stake. And they have to understand that Paul may not be around much longer. They need to take on the responsibility for continuing this life with Christ for themselves, and it won't necessarily be easy. So as one commentator puts it, that phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, expresses the solemn responsibility to God, which is always felt by those conscience, conscious of the divine presence of God, whether they are occupied with common tasks or the concerns of their spiritual life. Each of them is responsible for their own salvation before God. They must not lean on the apostle. His absence must make no difference. So here, it almost equals Make sure of your salvation. Carry it into effect now and onward. God wants us to know what we are getting ourselves into and take it seriously. There is a lot at stake 
both for ourselves and for other people. Following Christ can be difficult, it can be confusing, and even dangerous. The great news is that God is with us in this work. And that's where verse 13 comes in. What first drew me to select this passage as one for us to look at together was that verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because again, I'd heard that so often, but honestly, the fear and trembling part kind of confused me. I wasn't sure. So I thought, you know, this is one that we should face together. We should look at what is, what is Paul after? What does this really mean? And after studying verse 12, I realized how crucial it is to be followed by verse 13. In verse 12, Paul tells the Philippians essentially, okay, you need to take on responsibility for the life you live with God and understand the seriousness of it. But then in verse 13, Paul reassures them that God is with them in such a profound way that God makes it possible to live the life that they are called to live. For, God, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to God's good purpose. Notice, God gives us both the prompting to do what we are called to do and the strength to follow it through. God it is who works in you to will and to act. This is the fulfillment of the vision that God gave to Ezekiel centuries before that we heard in that Hebrew First Testament reading. Let's see. For here's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to bring you all back together. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. That was the, the vision that was given to Ezekiel. And here Paul is saying, this is what is happening with Christ in us. And in Paul's original language for this letter, there's a very important connotation of energy in this idea of God within us. Eugene Peterson catches that really well in his translation of this, these two verses in the message. So let me read it from that. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive. That's what he substitutes for fear and trembling. Reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give God the most pleasure. God's energy even within us, deep within us, giving us both the mind and the heart and the strength. 
to do all of this. God wants us to work seriously at the life we are called to live, and God works within us both to will to do that and to do that work. The final thread to tie in here is our gospel passage. In that encounter, Jesus reveals the content of the work we are to do as God's people. Let me read that again because it's so important. One of the religion scholar comes, scholars comes to him and says, which is the most important of all commandments? Jesus said, the first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy, all that Paul is talking about. And here's the second, love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. And, and the religion scholar says, wow, yes, that's, that's it. That's, in fact, if we could do that, that's better than all of the other offerings and sacrifices combined. And Jesus says, you're, you're on it. You're almost there. The main work of God and God's people is love. It's not about following rules and living in fear of breaking those rules. It's about loving God, listening for God in our hearts and minds, and then letting God's energy work within us to love others. So as my former professor Gordon Free writes, this passage is loaded with theology. God empowers both our doing and the willing that lies behind the doing. Christian ethics has nothing to do with rules that regulate conduct. Rather, actually, I need to stop for a moment with that. That is just a profound saying. Christian ethics has nothing to do with rules that regulate conduct. Rather, it begins with a mindset that is transformed by the Holy Spirit so as not to be conformed to this age, but be conformed to the character of God knowing God's will, what is good and pleasing to God. We are not those, he writes, who have been begrudgingly caught by God so that we obey basically out of fear and trembling over what might happen if we were to do otherwise. Rather, being Christ's means to be converted in the true sense of the word, to have our lives invaded by God's Holy Spirit who creates in us a new desire toward God that prompts godly behavior in the first place. We are living in challenging times. It is vital that we, as God's people, take seriously the lives God calls us to live. Lives focused on love, clearly, these days, there is everything at stake for ourselves and for others. And this work can be difficult, it can be confusing, it can even be dangerous. The great news is God is with us. Christ is at work within us to give us the heart and the mind, the will and the strength 
to be God's people and to do God's work of love. Thanks be to God.